You're getting a lot of me this morning. A lot of cheese. Well, it's great to be with you again. Um, I'll remind you all that I'm not a preacher. I'm not. I, I'm a big fan of my brother Kent Dobson, but that's not what I do. I'm a writer and an artist. So I'm going to I'm going to read to you some things that I've written. And if you remember the last time that I was with you, we explored the topic of grief. And maybe grief and heartbreak is not something to be avoided or seen as a problem, but as a signet, as a sign of our tender-hearted vulnerability, of us being made even more tender-hearted, and that that perhaps is really, really a good thing. So today I want to discuss how grief moves us or can move us into a state of gratitude and generosity. How grief makes us more creative in that way. So you may recall this poem from the first time of uh, the first part of our discussion. So I've got to position this microphone so I can see. Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds, and every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this. The fires of the black river of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. It's a poem from Mary Oliver. So this week, I continue this autumnal invitation, this autumnal discussion, which is part of what I'm drawn to, is understanding how each season invites us into some form of creative alchemy. So what can we look at in the fall but the trees? To letting go, to composting what we think we know. And so how can letting go become a choice to give away? To surrender to the unknown creative horizon beyond what we can see? Did you know, and I did not know this until recently, that when the trees drain of chlorophyll with the growing absence of the sun in the fall, the color of the leaves revealed is actually their true color. In other words, it is just the chlorophyll that makes the leaves green. Without chlorophyll, what is revealed is the truth of their real color all along. So when the leaves are released, they form a nutrient-rich protective layer over the root systems, allowing a nourishing cycle to continue. Deep within and below the ground, there's a mycorrhizal roots network that is buzzing with water and nutrients and sugars that are pushed out by the largest of trees for miles surrounding them. They are letting out into their network all of these gifts for their shared survival, including their symbiotic relationships with the fungal networks that help form the lines of communication. This is what some scientists call the wood wide web. I think that's pretty cute. I'm into dad jokes right now, I don't know. It's kind of working for me. But this helps them send chemical, hormonal, and slow pulsing electrical signals. I mean, and did you know that trees talk to each other? You know, it's becoming more popular to know this. 
The letting go, the dying, then, is actually a giving. It is part of the life and creative cycle's release into a new form, a surrender to life that it may take the gifts of one season and metabolize them, compost them, digest them into a new living season ahead. But my friends, how often do we think about our little or big dyings as the fuel for new life ahead? How often do we pause to consider how entering fully into our grief and welcoming in the love and the lessons learned are the two prerequisite steps for us to fully metabolize a loss into a gift, one that can nourish not just our personal evolution, but the network of relationships around us, the collective. When we are able to accept that the ache is the love and absorb the growth that we have experienced because of that person, place, or circumstance, we soften and relax our nervous systems into allowing a creative metabolizing to occur. The chlorophyll of all of that doing and trying and perfecting relaxes and descends into our bodies, revealing the brightly colored truths that simply and boldly declare what is and what has been true all along. That hurt. His choices really disappointed me. That didn't go the way that I planned. I wasn't ready to say goodbye. Ouch, yes, that is real, that hurts, but also, I might also hear you say, I realized I'm becoming aware that what I'm discovering is, and yes, that is also real, that is also true. What follows grief is a profound translation, a sacred turn that occurs if we are willing to be transformed by our heartbreak. In grief, which is a letting go, we can translate what we are learning, which is a letting in, into a nourishing letting out, a creative setting free. So what happens in these moments of our metabolizing loss, disappointment, or hurt is that as you return to the remembering, and now I use this a lot and I'm very intentional about separating re from membering. Remembering meaning becoming membered once more to the whole, to the greater than you. As you return to the remembering that your life is not really about you in the end, you become more than you, which is your leaf-colored truth all along. Our disappointments, our loss, and hurt can be metabolized precisely because they reacquaint us with the forested root system network that has always sustained us. And in that metabolization, we become a processing, nourishing force for the we that has been more than me all along. Our metabolizing is our creating. Our being present to grief is our gift. Your grieving, then, is your making. You don't have to rationalize your grief into meaning to feel the process alive in your body. This is a somatic embodied thing I'm talking about. When your letting go becomes letting in and then a letting out, this is how we breathe. This is how we set free. 
So I want to talk to you about the relationship between grief and gratitude. The poet Rilke says, what is required of us is that we love the difficult and learn to deal with it. Nice, Rilke, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't, didn't dress that one up, did he? In the difficult are the friendly forces, he says, the hands that work on us. Right in the difficult, we have our joys, our happiness, our dreams. There against the depth of this background, they stand out. There for the first time, we can see how beautiful they are. So we turn our attention now not just to letting go, the self-emptying surrender of the trees in the season of autumn, but now I want to turn your attention to another fall picture, which is the fields where our labor meets the miracles that we had no part in, which resulted in a bountiful yield for us to harvest. But contrary to the Thanksgiving centerpiece in your Aunt Millie's house of a cornucopia basket overflowing with plastic fruit, she's got it, the harvest is not bought. It is not gathered into a grocery cart with a barcode to quickly scan and then placed in the bag. Modernity has severed most of us from the relating and relations between sweat and sweetness, between toil and triumph, between calloused hands and a grateful heart. The harvest requires an exchange expressed in one last gift, offer, one last gift offered on the sacrificial altar of our expectations, in the humility of aching muscles and commitment to be up before dawn to inventory and gather goodness into our hearts, and the recognition that only in loving what is difficult can we see clearly the gifts given in the fruit of our labor this year. Rarely do we stop and truly attend to, and what I mean by this is bring our full embodied, embodied attention to bear on the fruit of our growth, of our giving, the yield of what has been miraculously born anyway from even the things that we thought were a total loss or an experiment or a failure. There in the midst of what has died, there in the midst of what we did not think was possible is a small seed of a maybe. And I am not, in all of this, talking about the artifice of a Thanksgiving American holiday where we're all going to go around and share what we're <laughs> thankful for to create a gloss over colonial genocide. Gratitude is not a state or an artificial feeling that we experience on cue around a turkey table. Gratitude is a muscle. It's an orientation strengthened by our regular devotion to choose its paradigm of abundance instead of scarcity again and again and again. Gratitude is the commitment to equanimity in the face of disappointments, upsets, hurt, and disorientation. It is the face of a farmer who weathers the storm and still goes out to the field and does what needs doing anyway. Gratitude is the posture of one who knows that death and life are lovers. And if we desire a love-filled, courageous life, we must be willing to welcome both. So when I ask you to harvest this morning, I'm not asking in a syrupy sweetness with a southern voice, I imagine, to list all the material goods privilege has gifted you with on a napkin decorated with fall leaves. Thank you, Lord, for my car. Thank you for my house. 
a litany some say is thanking God when really that's just a prayerful allegiance to capitalism. What I'm asking you to harvest this morning is in the voice of your scary AF ancestors, and by it I mean those who went out into the dark and bend their proud heads low as they wield a sickle, a sickle before the sun comes up, standing side by side with a community who are doing the same so that the we, which is more important than the me, can survive. To harvest is to gather not what you've individually done, but what has been done to you. To harvest is to see how you have been undone, so that something greater than your tiny me can come up through the hard soil of what was unimaginable. To harvest is to hold what is difficult and the cutting edge of death close, even as you collect the proof of the abundance of life. So this morning, I am asking you now to go into the field of your heart in a posture of gratitude, and gather your harvest of this year. This is the time when we do this. A work that you must choose to do in your singular sovereignty and in recognition that you are joined in that field by your community of human and more than human family. To really touch on the fruit of joy that gratitude can gift you with, you have to open yourself to be more than the tiny dramas of the ego, the constructs on the stage of its own tragedies. You must see your losses, your grief, your disappointments as no greater and no lesser than those that bind you to all of life's experience of losses, grief, and disappointments all around you, down to the egg that fell from the bird's nest, the rabbit that was caught by the fox, the forest fire that ran its course, the devastations of hurricanes and floods this year, the heartbreak of a woman who lives one block away from you as she grieves the death of her son hit by an intoxicated driver. The key to truly harvesting with gratitude is to open ourselves fully to compassion to allow our hearts to encompass all that this life deals and yields, and choose an orientation toward its beauty, not as that which death does not touch, but that which is beautiful precisely because of its frail permeability and its certain decay. Because only then can you recognize the miracle of the field before you. Despite it all, new life grew. Despite it all, you discovered unexpected gifts. Despite it all, you are given the bounty of more than you had imagined. Despite it all, you are being given this nourishing proof that you are held in the web of love. And to harvest, you must also be willing to welcome in this love that is beyond merit or earning, which is perhaps the hardest thing of all, to be willing to welcome in that which is good and wildly more than your impoverished plans or hopes could conjure. To harvest is to be willing to bring to the table for yourself and others a humility of absolute wonder, a posture of awe that recognizes each moment for this revelation that it is, what did we do to deserve this breath, this breath, this breath? So I want to invite you now to turn briefly to the fields of your hearts, 
to descend there and walk out into the tall proof of growth and begin to gather what is good, what is true, what is beautiful. And I'm going to pause now just for a minute to let that sink in, this invitation to harvest. What does the tenderness of heartbreak invite in gratitude? And I want to pause for a second to let you go into the field of your own heart and consider all that grew this year that was unexpected, the fruits of your heart-filled willing participation in this life, what grew up through the heartbreak. And what is the relationship between gratitude and generosity, I wonder? There is a very weird version of abundance floating around in the spirituality as commodifying my own selfish needs lexicon in it. I don't know if you've been aware of this on TikTok or Instagram. Abundance basically means a manifestation of financial wealth or personal ambitions as one's destiny. Yeah. Of projecting with certitude that one will have wealth and success as a means of achieving it because I am going to manifest it, okay? <laughs> so let me just point out how very anti life and weird that is, real quick. It would be like a pregnant mother saying that her child's life growing inside her was about her, that the umbilical flow of nutrients was reversed. It would be like the mycelial network underneath the trees refusing its own collaborative subsistence with the tree's root systems because they wanted to be on top instead of deep underground. Do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> to some degree, it's funny because we human beings are so narcissistic and so totally disembodied from our very embodied relational and reciprocal reality ecologically that we actually believe we can direct outcomes by simply projecting our selfish right to them. We've long debunked the competitive theory of survival of the fittest with, the evolutionary with an evolution, a perspective on evolution that biologists are now saying is the survival of the kindest. Have you heard of this? That it's actually the collaborative, communal, and generously reciprocal that has withstood the test of time. And yet we're over here thinking that we can just edge ourselves into winning anyway and the secret ourselves into getting what we egoically want and then call that manifestation. An ecological worldview of abundance is not about manifesting. It's one in which you understand yourself as more than you and that you recognize that you are part of the co-creative, collaborative, and communal life. Furthermore, you recognize that there is more than enough. More than enough life, opportunity, creativity, possibility, by which I mean you orient the you to the more than you as the direction of your life flow and your purpose. Your life is not about you. Your life at its core is the shared universal heartbeat. So when you give of yourself, you are making that shared universal life more personally real in the giving of it away. If you've done your grief work in your life and letting in work, you will arrive at this next revelation 
that this lost circumstance or change is really not about you at all. What these moments of metabolizing letting go reveal is the eye of the needle into experiencing a greater more than you version of you, which is not an individual you, which is to say the most real, non-self-referential and loving you, the most generous, free, wild and relationally whole you. Who you are most honestly and truly becoming is a you that's oriented toward giving yourself away. In one of my songs, I say, when you're lost to them, meaning you know, arbitrary arrival points, selfish ambition, success, industry, pretty much everything, you finally find yourself again. When you're lost to them, to those voices, those identities, you finally find yourself again. Because in love, you're made by what you give away. So when I say abundance, I'm talking about more than an I and its tyranny of needs. We are a we. When we fully relax into that unknowing of me, we ironically become more ourselves. So then it's not about our ambitions and goals and expectations then. When life reminds us of that, and sometimes it hurts to be reminded of that, we can surrender into that remembrance with gratitude and thanks as a recognition that these small deaths are actually helping to enliven us. Eco-philosopher and friend Andreas Weber said this to me recently in conversation. The only power which can tell life what to do is life, and you carry it right there inside of yourself. If you use it in order to protect yourself, it will fade. It will glow like the, like the autumn leaves on the soft floor of your forest, only if you do like them, which is fully participate in what is needed to make life flourish. Our life, then, is not about meeting our needs and our wants, but about orienting toward what makes life flourish in and around us. It is a posture of presumed generosity, of assumed self-diminishment so that the whole can flourish. In other words, it is oriented beyond our small ideas of self. Love, then, is not so much about being understood or being on the same page, having others meet us in the depths of who we are and matching our inner longing but rather about being a hospitable place for love and life to flourish. A spacious terrain within which the greater life thrives and flows outward creatively into the world. Love is our vulnerability in admitting that we forget that love invites us to animate possibility. Love is our willingness to let life be more than me toward the us that is reciprocally unfolding. It is a breaking down of my body to feed the hunger of many bodies, and so love is an unknowing for the sake of remembering. And in this way, love is generous. And we become more loving when we step into that liberating rhythm of love that lets in and lets out and sets free. So let's travel back to the trees real quick and remember their way of being and becoming. They are made reciprocally in communal membership. They are made as they give themselves away. Letting out is a natural occurrence that happens both above and below ground. 
The release of oxygen is a byproduct of their own natural digestion of photosynthesis. The gift that they give us and the world around them is a natural byproduct of their own subsistence. Below ground, the same kind of generosity is occurring in a cyclical, breath-like way. Water and oxygen are absorbed, which is letting in, and gifted sugars, nutrients, and information released out, letting out into the roots and the mycelial network. This is like breath in and out, like making love. The alchemy of reciprocity, relationality, and respiration are all one and the same. So as we turn toward what needs to be released this morning, what we are doing is softening into a respiration mutation of our pain by which I mean loss, grief, disappointment, even ache, the ache of longing. By letting the gift, which is the love shared, the lessons learned, the perceptions altered, letting that gift in. And then letting out the love of that realization, transformed and stirred by our longing into a gift into the world, that the world may become more alive. Longing is therefore not a passage to get us to satiety or completion. It is simply the ache of tender, hope-filled presence. So perhaps we can make peace with the ache of that longing as a turning toward the tenderness that presence engenders. Think about it. In the moments you've most been present, fully present, I mean in your body's present, Tell me that there wasn't an ache somewhere in the center of you, some deep ache at the beauty of life that bloomed. The wonder, the awe, the devastation of the preciousness of that which is before you. It is erotic, and this is what my friend Andreas Weber describes as erotic ecology. It's the idea that we are constantly being touched and touching beauty, intermingling of our being in the flux of our shared becoming. We become activated, generative weavers when we recognize that the weft of love is made when we give away the thread we spin, when that meets and mingles with the threads of what is around us, the loom of trees, people, creatures, life, that we weave ourselves into and weave themselves into us. Threads of our own heart travel out like root systems carrying our reciprocal respiration out into the world. So to be a weaver is to learn that letting go is simply a cycled translation of your own experience and pain into the threads of healing that can help connect with others. So this cycle I'm describing this morning is that grief moves through, is digested through gratitude into generosity and becomes generative. And can you feel that progression in your body? Grief times gratitude over generosity equals generativity. It makes us give ourselves away. It makes us brave, courageous creators. So generosity and love then is devotion to releasing all of our ideas and assumptions all of our stories and our attachments. These are the small deaths that we're invited to let go of every day. 
even and especially those assumptions <laughs> most ardently felt in our most intimate relationships. We must release our expectations and the tyranny of the small determinisms and identities that stories create. You don't know and cannot claim ownership over anyone you love. Have you thought about this? It's really crazy. We say things like, I love you, my wife, my husband, my partner. You don't know and cannot claim ownership over anyone you love. The only honest posture of love is one of absolute humility and unknowing wonder. Generosity is what moves us out of our attachments by releasing them again and again so that love can flow freely in the secret unfolding truth of our shared unknowability, which is to say the potential of what we might become. So letting go of what I think, want, and expect is a practice, a constant returning to unknowing as loving, a posture of creativity expressed in reverence to letting go of what I think I know to make room for what could be, which is always infinitely more than we can imagine. It is only the surrender to let love flow through us, to let grief do its work, to let this season of fall do its work upon us, that anything meaningful arises from our lives. But this meaning cannot be captured or caged or chained to some sort of you know, nice, quippy, well, it all worked out in the end. <laughs> the meaning of love is found in our continual giving away and the absolute scandal of our generous creativity, of our commitment to keep the flow going, meaning that we will grow like weeds between the cracks of our own words and ideas and categories. And this is the entire reorientation I'm trying to live with my whole life. The mystery which is your life, which is not yours, which is your creativity, which is also not yours, is not to be subjugated or controlled, but reverenced as a lover would to his beloved. The field of your creative offerings is alive and therefore must be wooed and wielded, not colonized into a machinery of productive and profitable outcomes. So the only meaningful outcome is that you become more wild with enlivenment so much so that you give more and more of yourself away in the enlivenment of the whole. I believe in the Gospels Jesus declared his disciples as recognizable by their love. In my lexicon, that love is enlivened and embodied by creativity. Whatever each spiritual tradition holds as its pinnacle of embodied consciousness, for me, the only oneness that matters in our urgent ecological crisis is one of a co-creative communion a deepened relatedness, and a fervent longing that engenders a wild imagination for what could be possible. Only then can we create alternatives to the systemic evil in our world, right? So it's the makers, not the monks, that I seek to call and animate to the rank of an erotic and ecological priesthood. It is into each one of you that I hope to breathe my breath this morning with words and song until you gasp and wonder at your own aliveness, until you remember who you really are, become membered to the truth of who you really are, which is to understand yourself as a member of the whole, which finds its membership in you too. Whether your gift be in song, painting, poetry, 
or accounting or mothering or sales or plumbing, each of you has a wild and irreplaceable part to play in the symphonic resonance of this one great melody that we are all breathing, moving in, and finding our becoming in. Your body, a unique touched and touching, interpenetrating, God-godding, broken continually and given away to feed infinitely more than could be quantified in this reciprocal relational epiphany of human and more than human possibility. Your gift, which is your life, tinged with your grief, your longing, your desire, your gift, which is the ache at the center of your body, given with gratitude and generosity, is the generativity that will change the world. This is life. This is love. This is the creative potential that each of us has and has together. So please, please don't stop. Be brave. Be wild, become, and don't stop giving yourself away.